Good Shabbos, good Nair of Shabbos to our friends and members of the Westmount Shul. This week's Shabbos is Parshas Chukas Bolok. And we know this is the Shabbos before the three weeks, which begins a, next Thursday with the 17th of Tammuz. And we know that the Shabbos before any special occasion sets the tone and the energy to receive that time that's coming before us. No, no different than Shabbos before a Yontif or Shabbos before a challenging time like the three weeks. So what is it that we should try to inculcate ourselves in this Shabbos? And Shabbos before the three weeks always has Parshas Balak. It has Chukas also this year, but always has Balak. And obviously Balak is meant to set the tone for this. One other issue I want to talk about, and it's making it's getting more and more in the news, is this concept of how to deal with all the homeless people that are around. Now, for us in Thornhill, it really hasn't been an issue until recently. If those who are driving through the promenade coming up to the Zara Drive, you'll notice as you're coming up by the stop sign before Center Street, there is one or two people that have been there for the last few weeks, uh, homeless people and living there. And we be, and this is really an issue that is, if they say, a no-win scenario. It's being brought in the United States. We know it's mamish gefährlich in many uh, liberal-run states and cities. But uh, even in Canada, they're suggesting that the homeless have rights in the Charter of Rights. And they're just not sure how to deal with it. There's no way to win this situation. It's very complex. There are people that many of them have are very disturbed people and can't be helped by themselves. I don't want to get into any of the politics of it. But just know there is an issue. And it was something that in the last mayoral race, uh, what are we going to do with the homeless? The homeless seems to be uh, and ranging from a nuisance to an annoyance to a threat. And genuinely, there are certain people who want to help them. But the question is, how do you help them? And it's never an easy solution. Help is never an easy solution. It's not just a question of throwing money at an issue. That rarely solves issues. So, but if there's an issue we hear about all the time, obviously, Hashem wants us to hear something. What is that that Hashem wants us to hear? So let's begin by uh, following halacha. Right away in the beginning of the Shulchan Aruch, Orachayim, Simen Aleph, Halacha Beis. Halacha Beis says, and it's ruled, I'll say the Hebrew, Ro'uy l'chol yirei shamayim. It's fitting for all, all God-fearing people, lias meitzer v'doeg al hachurban. We should be pained and concerned over the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. And therefore, there's certain behaviors we do to show the pain and concern we have over the destruction. So if Yaakov Galinsky makes the following observation, he's saying, what is the Shukhar saying? It's fitting that all God-fearing people should worry about the Beis HaMikdash? What about if you're not God-fearing? If you're not God-fearing, you don't need to mourn over the destruction? And what's the answer? The answer is certainly everyone is chayiv. But what can you do when a person is not a Yorei Shemayim? Nebuch, someone who's not a Yorei Shemayim, he doesn't even understand what we're talking about. Now, Yorei Shemayim, we shall see, does not mean only fear of God, of God punishing you. 
But Yorei Shemaim means much more than that, as we shall explain. And this concept of the Yorei Shemaim are the only ones capable of mourning for the Beis Amigdash, while the non-Yorei Shemaim don't even know what there is to mourn about, is brought out in the following vignette. They tell the story of a of a of a farmer, not you know, uh, uh, far away from civilization, and not a greatly learned scholar. And he goes to hear the Shabbos Hagodel Drush in the nearby city. He comes back. He tells wife says, "No, what did you hear at the Shabbos Hagodel Drush?" He says, and he comes back concerned. He says, the rabbi says, in the month of Nisan, we were once redeemed and we'll be redeemed again. And in this month, Mashiach will come and take us to Eretz Yisrael. So I'm very concerned. What are we going to do about the fence that we built around our farm with the sweat of our brow? What will happen to our cows? What will happen to our chickens and roosters and our vegetable gardens? Everything we worked on, we're going to leave it all behind? What are we going to do? It's a big problem. So the wife said, Oh, you of small Emuna, Hashem has saved us from other tsaras in the past. He'll certainly save us from this tsara of Mashiach. Many of you have heard that part of the joke story, but it moves, goes a little bit more. So the husband did not want to hear the rebuke from the wife. Certainly, certainly not from his wife. So therefore he, he modifies, he says, you know what? Maybe it's not such a big problem at all. Because we know that the Kazakhs, Yimach Shemam, they go and lately they've been stealing and robbing and, and pillaging. They already um, stole two of our cows and slaughtered them. They killed some of our, our roosters. So, you know, what's true is true. But maybe still it's worth it for Mashiach to come. And we'll go to a place that's more secure. Erzo will be more secure. So that's his response to the wife. And the wife thinks and says, you know what? I have the best solution. Let's ask from Hashem that when he brings the Mashiach, that the Kazakhs should go to Eretz Yisrael. And we will stay here and no one will bother us. Ay, vavoy, vavoy. What is this story telling us? So, Rav Galinsky uh, mentions that he heard from a person who participated in one of the early Knesias Gedolas of Agudas Yisrael in the 1920s, where the Chafetz Chaim, very old at this time, was the main speaker. And he sits on a chair, and everyone is hanging on to every word he has to say. And he, uh, he says the following. He says, each and every day in our Amida, we say and we ask with the words, Estzemach David Avdecha Mehera Satzmiach, that let the uh, David, the descendants of David, should come and sprout off. Vakarno Tarum Secha, and his horn, his light, will be elevated with your salvation. And we can end off, Kilishuascha, for in your salvation, meaning Hashem, Kivinu Kalayom, we long every day. So the Chavetz Chaim pauses and says, Lishuascha kivinu? Indeed, are we hoping for your salvation? Kol hayom? All day long? And that was the message. He was saying, do you really long for the Mashiach? Do you really long for it all day long? 
And that gave a lot of sobering thoughts for everybody. And now we can begin to understand what, what's going on over here. There are different uh, levels of creation in the world. We have inanimate objects, plant, animal, human. So let's think about the Torah records in this week's Parsha the only time in the history of the world that an animal was given the ability to speak. And that was the donkey of Bilaam. And Bilaam was whacking him up for no good reason. At the end of the day, Hashem says, okay, you can talk. Imagine, this is the first time that you, animal, can talk, and probably the only time. So what do you think the donkey should say? Get off of me. (laughs) What merit do you have to rule over me that you ride on me and you load things on me? You know, why should I, you know, maybe let's change things. You walk on all fours and you'll see how it feels. That should be what the donkey should have said. That was your one time. What did the donkey say? It says, Hello, Anochi Asonacha. Lama Tamake. I am your donkey. Why are you hitting me? What is that implying? You can ride on me. You can treat me like a donkey. You can do whatever you want. But just don't hit me. Why in the world was the Chamor giving such a comment? And said, Rab Galinsky, because a donkey is a donkey is a donkey, and will always be a donkey. The donkey doesn't see more than the immediate needs. The real solution to the problem is he shouldn't be a donkey anymore. But rather he just says, make my life a little better. But this doesn't only happen to donkeys. It happens to all kinds of people. They tell a story in Russia where the czar was going to inspect the Cossacks. And there's a whole story exactly how he was going to present himself to the Cossacks. And they're standing in two rows lined up uh, between each other. And he's walking in between. And suddenly one of the Cossacks decides he wants to kill the Tsar. What a great time. And as he's about to kill the Tsar, another Cossack jumps and kills the other Cossack and saves the Tsar's life. And the czar tells his uh, uh, assistant, call that Cossack who saved my life into my office. I want to speak to him in, pri- in private. So the guy comes in and the czar says to him, who are you? He says, your majesty, I am Private Vladimir. So he said, well, you, you saved the life of your king. And, of course, he salutes and he says, that is my obligation and my merit, my pleasure to serve the king. So he says, well, the czar, I'm obliged to show my gratitude to you. I don't like to have to owe people favors. Tell me what you want. So the private says, you know, the the sergeant over me really treats me badly. He doesn't give me passes like everybody else. He blames him for everything. Tell him to leave me alone and not bother me. So the czar says, fine. I'll talk to him. Nothing's going to be a problem. So he salutes. He leaves. Fine. The czar turns to his assistant 
and he says, okay, remember the following two things now. Number one, tell the sergeant not to bother him anymore, not to punish him and leave him, and that's it. Number two, he tells this assistant, he says, make sure to spread the word that this private will never be promoted until he leaves service. And the assistant said, why? He, he deserves to be promoted. He saved your life. So the czar answered, I am not interested in foolish officers. What? Yes, because he could have asked me to get a raise in rank, but he didn't. And since he has just, he has such a, a small mind of what he could do, he can't think out of the box. He just knows one thing, I have this problem and that's it. But he doesn't think any bigger, so he could not be any kind of an officer. If you have a mabat mitzumtsam, a very constricted consciousness of understanding, how can you be a leader? Just like the donkey of Bilam. So now we can understand a little bit better why this Parsha comes before the three weeks. The three weeks we are meant to mourn for the destruction of the temple. And um, we have to realize there's a few issues. Number one, first of all, how many people think that life isn't good? We live in a very affluent world. Even the poorest of us lives much better than under oppressive times. So number one, the point is very few of us maybe even are concerned with Mashiach. And even those that are suffering and would like Mashiach to come, but why do we want Mashiach to come? Like a donkey? Like the private in the Tsar's army? To just get rid of my problems? Don't Can't we think any broader than that? That Mashiach means we have a Beis Hamikdash, means we come to the Tikkun Olam, the world has come to its purpose, don't we understand there's an overall goal to all of world history that Hashem wanted to bestow kindness to man and that ultimate kindness comes when we cling to Hashem and that manifests itself in its greatest time when we have a Beis Amigdash and that manifestation is palpable and the will of Hashem comes to being and that will be the greatest pleasure in the world. Is that why we want Mashiach or are we like the donkey who just says, stop beating me, stop hitting me? Is that the way it's meant to be? And on the one hand, we would think, you know, are we so foolish like the donkey? Are we so foolish like the private in the Tsar's army? Can't we think any better? So I want to be Malamid Schus from a story with my Rosh Hashiva of Gifter Zichron of Racha when he came to Eretz Yisrael to build the Tell Stone. And he went to Eretz Yisrael, he visited the Kaisel, he visited Kever Rachel. And then someone asked Rav Gifter, at which place were you more moved, Kever Rochel or the Kosel Marovi? And Rav Gifter thought for a moment and said, at the Kosel Hamarovi. And this uh, fellow was a bit surprised and he politely said, Rosh Hashiva, I hope you don't mind me asking, but I've asked this question to many people. They all said they were more moved at Kever Rochel. Rosh Hashiva, why are you more moved at the Kosel? And Rav Gifter explained, younger man, you're a young fellow. You can relate to a mother. You saw your mother cry when she benched licht that you should be an Erlich 
You saw how your mother got up early and stayed up late for the sake of you and your siblings, so you can relate to the Mama Rachel. But the only ones who can relate to the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash are the ones who have seen grandeur and have seen Torah in its glory. A person who has seen the majesty of what the Jewish people is all about can understand its destruction. He said, Rav Gifter said, I was in Tells in the 1930s. I saw the majesty, majesty of Torah. I saw the plen- splendor of the greatest Rosh Hashiva. I saw what an El was. I saw what the 10 days of Tshuva was. I saw the grandeur of the majesty of Tells in Tells itself. And I also saw its destruction. I saw the majesty and the splendor of the Torah and what Judaism can be all about. And I can picture what going up three times a year, what Yerushalayim would have been like when there was a base mission because I had some kind of model. Therefore, when I davened at the Kaisal, I could picture what Klal Yisrael was like with the base of Migdash and I could feel the pain of its destruction. Today, here in America, where none of us have been able to witness that majesty and splendor that Rav Gifter was talking about, that's why it's so difficult for us to understand about this terrible loss. And Rav Chaim Epstein, Zichron Levracha, compared this concept to someone who was born in prison and is provided with all his daily needs. He has food, recreation, and a roof over his head. He grows up in that environment and thinks that it's typical. He's perfectly content and has no worries. However, if he would leave prison and discover that freedom allows him to wear what he chooses, do whatever he pleases, go wherever he desires, he would never choose to return to prison. But we have been born in the prison of America, Canada, the Western world, or in truth, the entire world, including any vacation resort, It is at best a prison. We believe that our environment is providing us with all that we need, whether it's sports, entertainment, the latest gadgets, or any of the physical comforts that we enjoy in the Golas. We don't miss the Beis Hamikdash because we've never had it. It's fascinating. The Kafa Chaim tells us an amazing halacha. You know, there's a concept of saying tikkun chatzos, the midnight prayers that focus on the morning and instruction of the Beis Hamikdash. And those who recite this prayer, they sit on the floor like we sit on Tisha B'Av. And some even put ashes on their head. They do this every day except for Shabbos and Yom Tov. And obviously if one is on that level, it would definitely enhance his recognition of the loss. But the Chavaz Chaim says that this feel is so important that if you have to choose between the following two prayers, Tikkun Chatzos, or saying selichos, the penitential prayers that we say in the 10 days of repentance, or that we say on a fast day. If you only could say one of them, the tikkun chatzos should be the one that's said. And the question is, what could be more critical than selichos? Selichos, where we supplicate Hashem for another year of brach and a good life. And the answer is, but we don't understand what a good life is. We'd have such a myopic view of what a good life is. Just have another life in Canada. This is what, well, slichus, it's, it's better than being punished. But it's not a base hamikdash. That is truly what we need. Now, 
Why the homeless? Very simple. Everything that happens in this world is a is something for us to learn from. Yes, there are people that are homeless. Yes, there are people that it evokes some kind of feelings of mercy. But yet it's a challenge. How do we deal with this issue? How do we solve this issue? Rabbi said, this is all a marshal to wake us up. Because there's one being that is more homeless than anyone else, and that's the Rabbeinu Shalaylam. We know that when the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, the Shechinta Begalusa, the Shechina is in Golos. What does that mean? Hashem created the world because He wanted to have a Dira Batachtonim. Hashem wanted to have a domicile down here in this world. He did not want to be homeless. And he had a dira for 800 years. We had a Beis Amigdash, and before that we had a Mishkan Shiloh. And that was the dira, and Hashem had a home to live in. But since the Beis Amigdash has been destroyed, Hashem is homeless. And homeless, and together with him being homeless, we've been homeless. And don't be foolish to think that your beautiful house on Spring Gate is a home. It's not a home. It's a home as long as the government lets you have the home and they can throw you out any time. Look at all the homes we've lived in for 1,900 years. Whoever stayed in that home forever? We're only permanent residents. We are all homeless, but the most homeless is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And he gets a little respite, a little respite, just like you take the homeless person to go into a shelter for a while. Hashem has a little shelter and that's called the shul. But people aren't in shul all day long. And therefore, we, are, we have to worry if we're thinking about homeless people and how do we solve the problem. There's a much bigger problem of homelessness. We are homeless. Hashem is homeless. And the solution is not easy. It's not an easy solution. Just like the homeless here, it's an uncomfortable. We know we have to settle it. But it's hard. Why is it hard? Because we have to owe the real solution to the homeless that are here. We got to get rid of some of our creature comforts. Oh, yes, we have to make proper housing for them, but not in my backyard. I don't want to have to take the brunt of it. I don't want to have to pay the taxes for it. Right or wrong, I'm not going to get into it. But that's the same issue with the homelessness of Hashem and the Beis Hamidosh. It requires us to not think like a donkey, to not think like the private in the czar's army, but you got to think of it in a much bigger way. During World War II, when it was arranged for the Briskarov to immigrate to Eretz Yisrael, the night before his departure, one of his Talmudian commented that the Rav must be excited to go to Eretz Yisrael. And the Rav replied that he was actually quite sad to go. He explained that when Hashem told Avram to leave his homeland, it was considered a difficult test. Even though his father was wicked and he lived among the people who were wicked, it was still hard for him to leave the place where everything was familiar to him. Said the Briskarov, I was born in Brisk. I was raised in Brisk. I taught many students in Brisk. Brisk was a holy city of Torah. It's very difficult to leave, even to go to Eretz Yisrael. If it was hard for the Briskarov, you can imagine how hard it is us to leave Thornhill, the, the golden land where Yiddishkeit is easy, or other places around the world, like in Lakewood, 
or in other places where there's a lot of Torah and a lot of beautiful things, it's very hard to leave. It's not easy to want Mashiach. It's not easy to solve the housing crisis. It's interesting, the Maral of Prague asks an interesting question. Why do we put too much, so much emphasis on the fact that the Jewish people did not have enough time to bake their bread when they left Egypt? We know that's only a detail of the story. The Geula was the main point of Pesach, but we keep are commanded to pay attention not to Chometz and the Matzah. The holidays called Chag Matzahs. Why so much stress on an unseemingly, uh, a seemingly insignificant detail? And the morale answers that the Jews had lived in Egypt their entire lives. And while they indeed suffered greatly, but the suffering stopped when the plagues began. And after almost a year of calm, Moshe Rabbeinu suddenly announced that it was time to leave and they got to leave immediately. And they didn't necessarily want to pack all their belongings. They didn't know where they were going. They knew there's only desert in front of them. But nevertheless, they didn't hesitate. They didn't request time to get ready. Moshe said to leave immediately, so they left right away. The bread wasn't ready, so they went without bread. And that's why the matzah is so important. It symbolizes the blind faith that Klal Yisrael demonstrated at that time. They did what they were told to do, no matter how difficult it was for them. And a thousand years later, Hashem tells Yirmiyo that the base of Migdash will be destroyed and the Jews will be sent into exile. And that prophecy is prefaced with Hashem says, Amar Hashem, Hashem says, I recall the kindness of your youth that you followed me in to the desert. And that's the point of it. We are now, and just like we come back full circle to our little story, that just like in Nisan we were redeemed, we're going to be redeemed again, and it's going to require the same sacrifice. But it's something we've got to want. It's something we've got to be focused on. And this is where the, this week comes into being. We have to all ask ourselves, are we smarter than Bilaam's donkey or not? Are we smarter than the private Dimitri in our story or not? Are we willing to be like our ancestors who could pick up and go? Are we willing to realize? And this is where we come to the point that we started with, where the Shulchan Aruch says, it's worthwhile for a Yore Shemayim to mourn for the temple. A Yore Shemayim isn't only a God-fearing person. Yore comes from Yira to see, Ra'a to see. If a person sees Hashem in every aspect, as Allah and the Shulchan Aruch said before, Sivisi Hashem l'negdi tamid, I have Hashem before me always. If a person sees homeless people and he's triggered, He's triggered to see the homelessness of Hashem, the homelessness of the Jewish people, and to realize this is a major problem, and we need solutions. And there is a solution. The solution to the homelessness issue is that we would get up to Eretz Yisrael. And if more and more people would come into Eretz Yisrael, as we see the politics is shifting more to the right, more to the Haredim, if we're prepared to sit down on this Tishavav and say life really is terrible here. We are homeless. Baruch Hashem, they're not slaughtering us, but we are the homeless. And there is a solution. There are homes that can that are being built in Eretz Yisrael by the day. And we can take care of the homeless issue. But more importantly, even if you're not ready to leave, 
but you can make your home a dira, shebatachtonim that Hashem is looking forward to, to think about Hashem, talk about Hashem. Say, Hashem, you're homeless, please come into my house, and my home is a place that you will feel welcome. It's a home without unfiltered uh, internet access. You don't have to worry, there isn't things that you don't like in my house. And I talk about you all the time. This is the issue, to feel Hashem's pain and to realize we are in a fool, in a fool's paradise. And the current events are showing them more than ever how the whole world is a fool in a fool's paradise. Let us be zoicha. And next time we dive in any time of the Amidah, when we come to the bracha before Modim in Ritzei, we say, V'sechazena eneinu b'shuvachol itzion b'rachamim. Let our eyes see when you return to Zion in Rachamim. What does it mean, let, your, let our eyes see? Just say, V'sechazena b'shuvachol itzion. Let us see the return to Zion. Why does it our eyes? So one shot is, very simple. The Shuvcha Litzion is here. The return to Zion is here. But we're not seeing it. There is a Shuvcha Litzion. But our eyes, the Geula is here, Mashiach is here, the Beis Amikdash is here. It's all ready to appear. We're on the cusp. We only need to realize it and visualize it. And therefore we daven that Hashem should give us the ability to understand and appreciate how close the Yeshua actually is. It's mamish waiting to make an appearance. But the last thing it's waiting for is waiting for the audience that will show up. You know that when people impose certain things that others don't want, no one shows up. They, in L.A., the Dodgers had a whole uh, special gay night, whatever, and they honored a gay person throughout the first ball. They made a big, big deal. And guess what? A stadium that can hold 50,000 people had only a handful. You know what? Because they said, we don't want this. We don't want to see this. You can give out anything you want, but we're not going to go for that. You have to understand, Mashiach is much better than transgender people. Mashiach is ready to come. Hashem is ready to throw out the first ball to the Mashiach. Where are the 50,000 fans ready to see that first ball being pitched. Hashem should give us the schus and the merit. And have a wonderful Shabbos and a meaningful three weeks to follow. Thank you very much.